Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Creative Income. I'm your host, Lars Lindstrom. It has been a minute, and I apologize for that. I know I said I wouldn't take this long, but I here's the good news. Good news is I've got about eight episodes in the queue, so I've already recorded them. Uh, they're just kind of hanging out, waiting to be edited, uh, but I did want to release this one first. I think it's going to be a great time. Of course, we've got Shane Hurlbut ASC on the podcast today. Um You'll know his works from Act of Valor to Need for Speed, uh, Drumline. He shot Terminator Salvation. I mean, the guy's got a huge resume of very incredible films. Uh, And I actually had his wife, Lydia, join the podcast as well because together they created Filmmakers Academy, um, which is an online kind of subscription-based course for a lot of young, aspiring filmmakers. And um, it's a fascinating business model, and we had the we had the opportunity to talk about that about three quarters of the way through the podcast. So stick around, guys. It's an awesome episode. Like I said, I've got seven or eight more podcasts that have already been recorded. I just got to edit them, and I will start releasing them in the queue. So here we go. Hey, uh, Shane, Lydia, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you. We're yeah. really excited. Yeah, we were pre- uh, very much appreciate this, Lars. Thank okay, you. Perfect. So I want to start. It's going to be kind of two parts. Um, obviously, Shane, you're an incredible uh, cinematographer, and very talented, awesome lighting styles. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that first and kind of how you got started. And then uh, Lydia, we'll give you a chance to talk uh, with Shane a little bit about um, uh, Filmmakers Academy, why you guys started that, um, and how you've been able to keep that going. So, Shane, uh, how, how did you get started as a cinematographer? What was the path? Yeah, it was a very interesting one. Uh, I came out of high school thinking I was going to be a DJ. So okay. I, uh, <laughs> I I ran a little DJ business back in the day, you know, doing all the like kind of teenage dances and high school dances. And then eventually in college, I was doing that as well. But uh, I went to a small little community college because I I wasn't really sure. I didn't know what the hell I really wanted to do. I just knew I didn't want to be a farmer. Okay. And that was what (laughs) everyone was doing around our area. So I was like, all right. Um, Around Ithaca, New York. Okay. All right. Yeah. Were, was your, were your parents farmers? Uh, my dad was a farmer as well as a professor's assistant at Cornell. And then okay. my uh, mom was a sixth grade school teacher. Gotcha. Okay. So, right. and a caterer and, you know, president of the, the teacher's union. Uh, they all did like three jobs, you know, each. So, yeah. um, perfect. So, I, uh, I went to a small little community college called Herkimer County Community College, and it had a radio and television program. So the first year it was radio and I was loving it. You know, I was disc jockey. I was the program director. I was all these things, loved it. Then television came along and I liked TV as well. And then I was like, wow, this is, I, I, I think this is something I'm totally into. So then I uh, went into my guidance counselor and I said, uh, get me into the best school, film school in Boston. And he's like, what's 
why Boston? I said, because I'm following my future wife up there and I want to be in Boston. So he's like, all right, well, there's Emerson College, there's BU, there's Boston College. I said, all right, Emerson, what's that? And he's like, well, it's a small little, you know, mass com. It's got a film program. So I went to Emerson for my last two years. Uh, Lydia and I continued our relationship. Um, out of college, I realized the only way I was going to move up uh, in the film industry in Boston was if the guy above me died. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> so it was like it was a very small market. And, you know, I didn't want to be a director of photography. I hated lighting. I hated everything about lighting. It was so funny. It's like when I did my practicum film, I was like, can somebody light this thing? I don't like all the, the all uh-huh. this stuff. But um, I started out at a rental house in Boston, and then that's where I started to find the love of lighting and then went back. And then Lydia and I, you know, hopped in a U-Haul and a uh, Ford Ranger pickup truck and towed that son of a bitch all the way across uh, country. And that's where we started. I started right back in a rental house making $5 an hour with steel toe boots and, uh, you know, pants and everything. I was I was so excited to get to California because I was like, all right, I can wear shorts and I can wear my flip flops and all this stuff. And they're like, no steel toe boots, jeans. And you wear this shirt that says key light on it. And I was like, oh, okay. So yeah, I don't, so that I don't mean to, to date you if if, uh, if that's right. What Bob? What year was this? Do you remember? This is nineteen eighty seven. Okay, all yeah. right. So you're you're in Los Angeles at this point. Are you married? At the, or are you just got still together? We're engaged. 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 Congrats. Congrats in nineteen eighty seven. So so you're. Are you doing anything you can take at this point? Are you director of photography? Are you gaffer? Are you coming up through camera? What's what What are you working on? Oh, I am at the bottom of the ladder here. You know, it's Uh like I start out as a grip truck driver. So um, started driving grip truck, then uh, got uh, this aha moment happened for me on the set of Phantasm 2. This summer, the ball is back. Uh, So I was... uh, Got a, you know, on the radio, hey, Shane, uh, bring in an 18 by 24 flag stat, you know. So I'm like, you know, off the grip truck, running it down. And I come down into this crematorium set. And as I'm walking down, the best boy electric is walking up the the stairs. And he is a USC grad uh, cinematography school, right? So I was... Emerson was more of a mass com film degree. You couldn't really specialize in Emerson at the time. Mm-hmm. So he was USC cinematography. So he wa- he's walking up and he stops me and he goes, Shane, would you be scared? And I go, Brian, what the hell are you talking about? I got to run this flag down to Terry. I uh, needs <laughs> this right now. He goes, look, every nook and cranny on the set is lit. There's no shadow. And it was like, bang, from that point on, everything I looked at was light. And I went from a grip truck driver to shooting Come As You Are Nirvana in 1991. So basically in three years, I went from a grip truck driver to uh, a director of photography. 
I think we've I think we skipped some steps there. <laughs> <I'm trying> to <laughs> figure... <laughs> well, uh, okay, I talk, talk to me. Who, who are you there, talking but... to? How are you hustling? What do you like? What does that look like? What is uh, what are you doing on a daily basis that goes from grip truck driver to shooting Nirvana's music video? Well, it was the kind of thing of just creating wonderful relationships, mm-hmm. right? And working your ass off. It's like yeah. why I was hired as grip truck driver on Phantasm 2 is because the producer was making a deal with the key light rental manager and he was looking down through this window and he goes, who the hell is that dude I keep on seeing running across the parking lot? And they're like, that's this crazy bastard from from Boston. He just runs circles around everyone. Uh And then all of a sudden he went down and talked to me Hmm. and then got me the job. So everything was about, you know, how can I, you know, learn as much as possible, you know, get up the ladder as quickly as possible. Now, when you think about that, that looks like a ridiculous time frame, right? Yeah three years. But in actuality, in 1990, I did a hundred music videos in one year. Okay. So as, that as was everything as a cinematographer or as a grip, as a or as a- grip mm-hmm. and as a gaffer. Okay. So when I, I finally made the jump when coming out of uh phantasm two, I realized I really liked gripping. So then okay. I got on some low budget, deferred pay, never saw any money kind of thing, uh, you know, on these things as a dolly grip. Then I moved up to a key grip, got my first key grip job. I did never been a key grip. I didn't know how to key grip, just watching people <laughs> and, you know, convince this director of photography to give me a chance. I was barely, my head was just bobbing. <laughs> like right here above water uh, and just went for it. And then, you know, people really saw that I, I, as a key grip, I was really into shaping light and controlling it. And, and that's what they really noticed. They're like, Whoa, you really got a sense of light. Mm-hmm. And then I became a best boy electric because I wanted to really understand how to run power and then became a gaffer and then dabbled in like assistant cameramen here and there just to understand the workings of the film camera, how to load it, how to do all that stuff. And then finally made the jump to DP. Now, that jump didn't really happen till 1994. That's when I got my agent. But I was doing these little gigs from 91 to 94 where I was just scrappy. You know, I was grabbing anything I could get. Do you think it was that Nirvana music video that eventually got you noticed enough to get that agent? Um, yeah, I think it was a series of like the Nirvana. I did three of those. Then I did Smashing Pumpkins, Stone Temple Pilots. I became kind of the the grunge era DP for a while. <laughs> How fun. You know, I was doing all that stuff live and, you know, yeah. um, uh, oh God, I did this really cool band called Quicksand. Um, <laughs> another one, Filter. Hey man, nice uh-huh. shot. I, I uh-huh. love that band. Jesus, yeah. they were like speed metal, right? Uh, now, so, yeah. I've got a quick question for Lydia. All, all through this this time, uh, I'm, I'm assuming uh, we're doing lots of freebies. And are, are you at any point thinking, are we going to be able to financially support ourselves or have a family in the future? Like what's going on? <laughs> 
Actually, no, because okay. I was working full time as a nurse at Children's Hospital. So I was supporting us. Uh, what, what kind of nurse are you? My, my wife's a NICU nurse. Yeah. Uh, pediatric. I did um, adolescent peds. Okay. And then I decided that after a couple of years, I burned out at Children's because it was just crazy, the floor I was on. And so I went back to graduate school to do forensics and became a sexual assault nurse examiner. So I was totally in the medical field and Shane was in the film world. And I was, before he had an agent, keeping his calendar, making sure everybody was paying him and kind of like his pre-agent agent. agent, You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) So all of Shane's success we owe to Lydia in the early days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, perfect. No way. Uh, <laughs> All right. Anyway, so, so yeah, go ahead. Because just to say one more thing about that, Shane and I, I think throughout his entire career, have had a very unusual um, situation because I've always been involved from the beginning and um, really interested in it, really excited about what he was doing. And I think that that's rare. So it is. Not, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not in an annoying way, but just in a very supportive way um, to help, you know, make choices and decisions. Yeah. Shane, no. would you agree that it wasn't annoying? It was a supportive uh, way oh, as well? Totally. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah. I'm very excited that uh, I can say that I have one marriage and it will be the last uh, and only. And it's something that we because we fell in love so young, like 10th and 11th grade. And we were able to kind of shape the mate that we wanted. And because I, you know, went up the ladder gradually, um, well, gradually in that radical assault, but you know what I'm saying? It's like she could see the, you know, from key grip to dollar or to gaffer to all that kind of stuff. She started to see the time demands and it was a crawl, walk, run scenario for her to really get used to. So it wasn't like, you know, you're a cinematographer and then you fall in love with somebody and you marry this person and then boom, they're in it. right? Right. This was, we could really kind of, manicure the life that we wanted to have together, uh, which was pretty rocking. And I would never tell Shane how to light anything. This is business decisions, right? (laughs) So I know my lane um, and and I know where I add value and where I don't. And I think that spouses are really under underrated or people that you're in relationship with to bounce ideas off of. Yeah. And especially business, really big business decisions. Like, do I take this project? Does it help Mm, my career? What mm. do you think? You know, there, a lot of, uh, significant others, let's say, uh, really have a, a wider view. You're in it. Yeah. My wife doesn't tell me how to light, but she does tell me when I did a bad job after the fact. So (laughs) that's, that's also good to have, right? Someone to be honest with you and check you when you, when your work isn't uh, as good as it maybe can be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I I love that. I think it's beautiful. And I, and I definitely feel it. You know, I, I've, um, I've seen you guys around, I've, I've been through NAB and I've seen you guys speaking at the Canon booth and, uh, and you're always together. And I, and I love that. It's a, it's a great example. And and so uh, thank you for that. Um, You you. don't see it very often in the film industry. So it's, it's really awesome to see. No, don't. And we kind of try to stay on the peripheral as much as possible, because when you're in it, you tend to get 
very uh, wrapped up in it. And I try to be incredibly humble. Hmm. Uh, I love what I do. I cannot yeah. believe I, I uh, have this career. And uh, every day I get to go in and be a five-year-old. And I just yes. love that because I never really wanted to grow up ever. Uh, so this is a <laughs> great profession where I really don't have to. <laughs> That's absolutely true. All right. So let's jump back. So we're 90, 94. We get an agent. Uh, what's What sort of work does this agent start to produce? Does the does this agent produce anything? Um, and how do you get to your first, I think your first feature film was what, 96, 97? around there? 98. 98. Okay. Yeah. So- yeah, that's a really great one. So uh, Stacy Sheriff was my agent and she was kind of um, she was a boutique agency. Uh, really, she was one of my favorite agents ever. Hmm. Um, she really concentrated on building my career. She got me a ton of work, which, you know, a lot of agents, they're either there to assist because you already have the clientele. But I was in the building clientele business at that point. So I did have some really great relationships as a gaffer. So like the the DPs that I worked for, if the director that they that I had worked for as a gaffer said, hey, uh, you know, Joseph Yako doesn't want to shoot this spec spot, mm-hmm. but would you uh, be open to it? And that's how it started. A lot yeah. of these contacts because the directors could see the working environment of how I worked with my director photographies, that it was a normal progression, right? Yeah. They, they didn't see me just as a technician. They really saw me as more of an artist. And that's awesome. what was really great because I would then, when they asked me, I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's great. I am trying to build my DP career and I would love to do spec spots and, you know, got yeah. all the crew and the gear and everything involved to be able to do this. So, you know, that was kind of, the beginnings and Stacy was really shaping my career and getting, she got me in with Bob Giraldi and Bob Giraldi at the time in the nineties was one of the biggest commercial directors. He was yeah. doing all the Michael Jordan campaigns and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I was in and started to do all those Michael Jordan campaigns. And it was, it was, wow. it was incredible. And he came to me, in 97, I think, 98. And he said, Shane, here's the scenario. Um, I really want you to direct for our company. And I was like, whoa, okay, this is this is really going a different direction. I didn't <laughs> think uh, I was. And he goes, and uh, I want you to think about it. And, you know, let's uh, continue the conversation. So yeah. I was doing another I don't know, some commercial with Anthony Edwards that was in it uh, for some, some mobile cellular commercial back in the 90s. And then I got a call uh, to interview on a movie, uh, HBO movie called The Rat Pack. Mm. And I How? went in. How did you oh, get that? Extra? So this is such a. So crazy. No, no kidding. You know, out of yeah. nowhere. Right. So yeah. I, I shot a music video for Bruce Roberts and Donna Summer. <laughs> and they were singing the track, the uh, daylight soundtrack, you know, the song for this film daylight. And the director was Rob Cohen. Yes. And he had sent his team down 
to to make sure that Donna felt really good and Bruce felt great. And he's a very hands-on director. And that's what I love about him very much. It's like, if there's a music video being done for his movie, he wants to make sure he's got boots on the ground there to make sure it's, cool. you know, everyone's taken care of. Right. Really yeah. great. You know, that's that's what a great director, I think, does is they have their hands in everything so they can manicure it to exactly how they want the thing to to be delivered. So I guess that producing team came back to him and they go, dude you got to check this DP out. I have never seen anyone command the set like this guy. He's got cameras flying all over the place. He's got them on these zero gravity arms. And I've just never seen anyone work like this. So boom, a week later, I get the call for, you know, the Rat Pack. And I was like, oh my God, this is a huge break. So I go in and I interview. And then he says, okay, so... I want you, but that doesn't matter right now because yeah. HBO has to interview you because you've never never shot a movie. You've never shot narrative. You're a music video guy with some yeah. commercials, uh-huh. right? So that was going to the Black Tower at HBO and sitting down. <laughs> and I said, I told me they were going to be one person I'm interviewing. There's six in the room, right? You know, and I'm yeah. getting just blasted from all sides. <laughs> How are you going to like this person? You got Don Cheadle next to this person that's super white. Ray, Ray Liotta. No. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. How are you going to yeah. light the two of them? You, how are you going to light six, seven people in a room? And I'm like, well, what's a band? It's kind of the same thing, you know? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I kind of walked out of that meeting, you know, and it, it was kind of a ballsy move I did. I basically said this, I go, you got, you can see that I don't have that experience, Yeah. but I have the passion. I have the contacts from my commercial and music video that I am going to leverage the shit out of, right? Yes. yes. I am going to bring my crew in that's been with me for years that, you know, is going to go the distance. I said, and I have a daughter that's being born in three months. So if you don't want me to shoot this film, it's all good. I'm going to go back to my commercial music video world where I just was said, told that they want me as a director. So I'm, you know, I'm going to do that and enjoy my daughter or Uh you see the passion inside me and understand how good this is going to be if you hire me. And I just walked out. Did you believe all of that? I'm curious, like how much of it was, was just like faking it till you make it? Or, or did you actually oh, say no. to yourself or it was like, this is a hundred percent what's going to happen? No, that's exactly. I was all on board mm-hmm. with it because I had the carrot of directing for Giraldi. I was like, yeah, this is like a no brainer, right? I, it's a win uh-huh. win scenario. If I walk out, I'm a director at a high end production company, you know, in the or golden I, age of the 90s for commercials. Exactly. Yeah. Where the commercial budgets were massive. Right. Yeah. Or I shoot my first narrative film with an incredible talent pool with an amazing director. It was like a win-win, right? So I could be that ballsy. Yeah. And this is how crazy it was. So they hired another DP 
a whole other crew and had them on call for the first week. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is how, <laughs> you know, how they, they just like sitting in the truck like a like. No, just no, I didn't know they or... existed because oh. if I would have known they existed, like Rob said, yeah. he goes, I was never going to tell you that shit. Yeah. Or you would have choked. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah you're probably right. I would have. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I want people feeling like they're confident with me behind the wheel. But if they're hiring a whole other crew and everything ready to come in and swoop in. So what was awesome is we did pre-shoots, and this is where Rob Cohen was brilliant. He goes, let's shove your passion right down their throat, (laughs) right? So he sets up this, we walk in, and it's Dean Martin's home. And he's sitting there by in the bar, and he's drinking out, you know, he's smoking, and he's drinking and everything. And I lit the shit out of that thing. I mean, Mm. I was so happy with that area and everything. First day of dailies, they're like, what is this? We have never seen anything like that. Second day of pre-shoot, they wanted to know. They they told Rob that they had discovered me. (laughs) (laughs) And then we were off to the races. The crew was dropped. We were doing the movie. And then it became a very uh, critical success. And uh, Mm -hmm. that was the start of my narrative career. Amazing. Lydia, did you have something to, to say there? I know. I just wanted to say that uh, if you know Shane well, he's so transparent and vulnerable. And mm-hmm. what I love the most about the story is that it's sometimes you have to take a little bit of a risk, but you always have to be true to who you are genuinely. Yeah. Because people can sense it if they feel like you're trying to put something over on them or. Interesting. And And I wasn't trying to be arrogant in the meeting at all. I was very humble. I was like, I was so thankful that I was in that tower speaking to all of them. Uh, But the way they were coming at me was more of like, well, we're not sure you can do this and you're not sure you can do that. And how are you going to do this? And how are you going to do that? And then I, I finally said, hey, guys, I my resume is what it is. My passion is what it is. My experience and everything that I'm going to bring is what it is. Here's it. You either want me or you don't. And then I walked out. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah. Go ahead. The rest is history. And I think it's a very unusual stance to take, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think this was also in a time period which is very different than the film industry is today. But I do think there's this imposter syndrome or whatever that I see over and over again that exists among creatives. Mm -hmm. And I think the really valuable point here is having the belief in yourself. And because there are times where you need to really stand in that position of power because you know you can do it and convey that outward to other people because they may or may not see it. And that's really what this was, right? I struggle with imposter syndrome every day of my life. Every time I show up on set and I see all the trucks line up, I go, I shouldn't be here. Like, this is a mistake. They've hired the wrong guy. So what can what can people do? Because I know I'm not alone in this. What can people do to avoid this or work on it to try to, yes. to, try to downsize this imposter syndrome that shouldn't right. be there? Exactly. Well, I think this this may sound really off, but go with me for a second. I think it's really getting quiet with yourself and Mm. 
and um, really understanding where that's coming from. And a lot of it could be um, you, you're not trusting yourself because you either haven't done it before or are lacking a particular skill set that maybe needs a little bit of work, right? So mm. I think whenever I look at where am I feeling insecure, oh, it's because I don't know something, or it's because I don't have an immediate answer, or maybe it's I haven't even done it before. Yeah. But I think you come to a point in your life where you have enough internal trust because you worked on yourself enough and and you've realized like your own flaws, your own. I love to look at where, where are your little micro geniuses, like what are you really great at? Mm. And I think that once you understand the distinction between those two things, then it's getting quiet and understanding why am I feeling so insecure right now or Where's that coming from? Maybe writing down a little bit about it to let it oh, yeah. go and get it out of your head. And, you know, moving on mentally from that space that is insecure, or fearful. I think mm -hmm. that that's really a habit and a practice. I meditate every morning and that really helps me to get quiet. Yeah. When I walk on set, I try to meditate this gratitude meditation where oh, I'm I love so great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So grateful for, you know, who who I am, my family, all my support mm -hmm. system, and so grateful for my uh, team. And uh, I have this thing where I create this energy where my gratitude uh, is an extension of me. So even before I come and mm -hmm. come in contact with somebody, I'm passing that gratitude to them. And I do it in a way of like, you know, they always ask you, hey, Shane, how you doing today? I only have two words. Freaking fantastic. I love right? it. Like, Jesus yes. Christ. Okay. <laughs> Calm well, down, crazy. my dude. Yeah, exactly. And it becomes like a joke because everyone asks me because they know what the same response is, right? And do, the same Do you think that some of your success in your career is, is because of your positive attitude? Yes. And can you Absolutely. break that down for me a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So- 100%. I would say that when I was first starting out, I was so concentrated on necessarily, you know, trying to get to where I wanted to go. And I really didn't know what that was, but I was just on a goddamn path to get there. Yeah. And that path made me very kind of uh, exacting and controlling and very um, anal and, uh, you know, really kind of perfectionistic yeah so as i'm coming up the ladder there were people that were close to me that understood me and they understood okay this is shane trust me don't worry about him i know he's going to be exacting this, this is just his but there's other people that did not know shane Mm -hmm. and did not know that you know i laugh and and enjoy um, my life and all that stuff, but they see me as like, why is that thing not, to, you know, da, 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 you know, the very exacting nature. So I pissed off a lot of crew members in the beginning for sure. I rode right. them hard and put them away wet, right? <laughs> that was kind of, you know, my early stages of development. And, you know, I was never taught how to be a good leader in uh, mm -hmm. film school. That's the, one of the things that I think they should absolutely have as a leadership program, because yeah. you go from 
I mean, I did the crawl, walk, run scenario where I was like leading 10 people, leading 20 people, then Terminator Salvation leading 295 people, right? So the pressure and the stress from that. And I think you're also not taught that. How do you manage that? Everybody's constantly coming at you with, what are we doing? What's happening? Why are we behind? Where's the lighting? Can we go? The actors are ready. And think about, it's like a jackhammer, right? Of unrelenting answers that you have to give. And they always want time. (laughs) You know, it's like, I mean, time estimates are so hard to to do because there's so many variables. And then you've got 295 people moving instead of 29. (laughs) And so it's like, yeah. You know, you're trying to move these, you know, yeah. pieces around and who's these ready. 40 by 40 it? fly swatters are flying. I have no how long, idea how long that's going to take to build those and bring those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, Ugh. so you 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 understand what it is. But then at the same time, you're pushing your crew to un uh, unattainable goals sometimes. And that's mm. where. I was making that mistake, you know, I was just pushing too hard, pushing too hard, you know, doing, taking on way too much responsibility. And then I finally had this kind of just breakthrough where I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability, but I'm going to do it in a way that everyone around me feels that positive nature. I'm not, I'm going to be still a perfectionist, but I'm not going to grind and I'm not going to, Hmm. you know, go down the rabbit hole of why didn't you think of this? And you didn't think of this because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. And you did these, those are just condescending bullshit things that I I just don't do anymore. Um, And those, and now by doing that, I've really, like people see this positive sphere around me and they, they always like, I got COVID on my last project. If I dodged the damn bullet for three years and then I got it, Ah, the crew was sending so many wonderful uh, emails to me to make sure I was okay. When I came back on set, they were like, yes, Shane's back. <laughs> How are you doing today, Shane? And then I'm like, freaking fantastic. You know, fantastic. And, like, like, <laughs> and that energy started to infuse. And then all of a yeah. sudden the director started to see how positive the crew was based mm. on the energy and how people were treated and how people were respected. And, you know, I would walk out and set and I go, I just want everyone to s- let's give the set decorating team a massive round of applause because this home looked like a shitbag pottery barn. And now it looks like wealth, right? And you know, But I think it's, it's your own evolution, right? Your own personal Mm -hmm. growth as, as the decades go, go on. And it's really, again, gets back to knowing yourself and how you become a good leader, how you're taking care of yourself and the energy that you are bringing to absolutely everything that you do. So it's energy work, it's leadership, it's soul searching. And passion is a big part of the equation. Mm -hmm. You cannot devalue passion. And that's where, you know, coming in and being excited. And when I turn to somebody and they might be all bummed out and everything, and I'm like, guys, 
we have the greatest gig in the world. Totally. We're here. People feed us breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We are usually in the most exotic, kick-ass locations you could ever imagine. I mean, sometimes we're in Piss Alley, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. uh, but most of you know, you know, the good, the odds are high that you're going to be in a place that not many people have experienced. And yeah. I go, come on, man, this is the greatest job in the world. And then yeah. they start to, you just got to neat, you know, you kind of whittle away at them, you know, and continue to befriend them and just shower them with positivity and, and love and love. You know, it's and like every is, yeah. day I had a, I had a gaffer on this last project where every day he was, he kind of was in a bad mood and I would walk up to him every day, give him a monstrous hug in the beginning and a monstrous mm -hmm. hug at the end. And he was like, well, what's going on here? He goes, how are you so <laughs> positive all the time? And I was like, dude, think about what we get to do on a daily basis. And then it just took about a week and it, the mindset was starting to ripple across the whole damn crew. And just like they say, it starts mm -hmm. at the top. And our director was incredible. She was so thankful and so appreciative of everything that we were doing and how amazing this crew was, that that is the ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. It starts to go downhill and we just take the ball and continue to run with that positivity. And, uh, you know, any good leader does that, you know, that, that yeah. creates that passion, creates the excitement, creates the excitement of learning and doing something new, right? It's like yeah. showing them that, you know, they've been doing this for 30 or 40 years. And I go, you know what? We got to join those three 18Ks together because we got to have one shadow. And he's like, well, we're not going to be able to do that. And I go, there's this diffusion that was made in the 60s. It's called brush silk. And he uh -huh. goes, what? What? And I go, it changes when you rotate it it creates a line of light and it will join the three heads. Wow. So sure enough, they get it. And it was one of those kind of things where, you know, we always continue to learn. And this gaffer showed me so many neat things as well. And I'm like, I just try to be like a sponge when I work with all different types of, of uh, whether it's key grip production design, art department, set deck. I, I'm always looking at these little nuances where I can then be better. Yeah. You know, uh, even just in language of talking to the production designer and, and studying architecture. So I'm able to say the correct stuff, you know, Ooh, look at that nice dental work up there. Uh, you know, it's like, I mean, it's like these kind of terms, you know, I got to learn. So I read architectural books and so I can have constantly that constantly in a state of learning and yes, educating yourself. Always. And, yeah. that, and I, I guess that is one of my next questions. How, how have you been able to, you know, in these last 30 years adapt to changes in the technology for the film industry. You know, obviously we went from shooting strictly on film to digital. Uh, lighting packages now are a third, maybe even a quarter what they used to be, um, depending on those sensitivities. You know, you were shooting at 100 ASA 30 years ago. Now you're shooting at 800, 3200 on some of these cameras. Uh, how has that uh, adaption changed the way you work, if it has at all? And how have you been able to keep up uh, on that technology? Yeah. So keeping up on the technology is all about continuing to learn, 
and continuing to read, right? It's like mm -hmm. American Cinematographer is a great magazine. British Cinematographer is a great magazine. Filmmaker Magazine is a great magazine. You know, so I'm, I'm constantly looking through those. ICG. ICG. I, yeah. I see the ads and I was like, what the hell is this like? And then I look at the specs and then I go down the rabbit hole, right? I'm like, okay, what is this thing? How many pixels does it have? How many is this? So it's like, I'm always doing the research. But what I tell everyone is like, guys, do not get on this LED train. Hmm. Okay. It's not there yet. Okay. It's, 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 uh, you know, Fresnels are still not Fresnels. Panels are all they're fucking making. You know, there's, it's a lot of, you know, the LED train is not there yet. So what mm. I do is a mix of old and new. Okay. So I'm still blazing HMIs. You know, it's like the lighting does actually doesn't change. Doesn't change. That's, that no. was my question. Yeah. Yeah. The lighting doesn't change mm. because the earth has not changed. <laughs> and the sun has not changed, uh -huh. right? If the sun turned into an LED overnight, then I was like, all right, well, we can turn it. We can dim it down. We can, you know, diffuse it. We can do all that shit. All right. Now I can embrace the LED technology. Uh -huh. But the sun hasn't done any of that shit, <laughs> right? So I still have to, if I'm shooting in a kitchen where I have sun reflecting off the water, and I need to see the water because the whole reason we're here is to know that they're on the tip of the cape and they see the sea out there. Yeah. The audience has to see the sea. And we got the shimmer. So mm -hmm. I got to pound so much light into that kitchen to Absolutely. be able to balance, right? You got so 15 this stops, idea, you got to bring that kitchen up. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's not like everyone's like, oh, I light, you know, when you walk on set, my God, you can't even see where you're walking because <laughs> it's so dark. Yes, those are, there are sets like that where you can light that low with 3200 ISO and everything, sure. and you do trip over shit and everything on stage. There is that environment, but... There's also location work and location work. You are locked to the sun and mother nature and what she deals uh, with and, and how uh, it's cloudy. It's sunny. It's, you know, all these mm -hmm. things. So you still need a robust lighting package uh, to be able to do that. But staying up on the tech, staying up on all that stuff. I love because, you know, I, I just love playing with light and all the new gadgets and everything that comes yeah. out. Uh, so, yeah. And I Lydia? would add experimenting and mm. constantly trying something if you're not sure about it, right? Like Shane's constantly tinkering and, you know, uh, looking at things and testing something out. And so I think it's, it's really a curiosity to, and it's a love of the craft that keeps you going because you're just genuinely interested. So it's not just doing the same thing because you're comfortable with it. It's, you know, maybe it's similar lights, let's say that you're bringing, and I'm so not the DP in this. However, it's what new and exciting thing could I add to what I know is going to work or what I normally do based on my level of knowledge and experience and passion and courage to try something, right? Because that's the only, that's the only way that you really see if it works or not. And I think that yeah. people get really comfortable and okay, this is the way I do it. I know it's going to work, but that keeps you stuck at a certain level 
in your craft because you're not challenging yourself. You can't get comfortable ever. To break out of it. Yeah, I, you know? I think that's the best advice I've heard all day. It's once yeah, you get comfortable, you just die. You just oh, die. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like the kind of thing where, I mean, I saw a need for a light that did not exist. So I built it myself, right? Okay. Went out into the damn uh, woodshed, cut the lumber, cut the, the PVC fence post, drilled the holes, wired the whole goddamn thing and built this light. And everyone's like, what is that? You know, it's not UL approved. It's not anything, but uh-huh, you know, I uh-huh. continue to get it on sets, which is good. Fingers crossed. Uh, uh-huh. But it's a very unique light. And um, when I bring it out, every gaffer is like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then I surround a room with them and put them all on dimmers. And then when I ignite them, they're like, what is this? I want to see. I don't know what light you're talking about. It's called the Batten light. It's basically oh, okay. a one foot, yeah. two foot and four foot light where I use these uh, mushroom globe R30 spots. Uh-huh. So it's a line of light where the bulbs literally touch each other. So wow. even though you have 12 bulbs, you only get one shadow. One, one shadow, one source. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So. I want to, I want to see, uh, I actually, I think, I think I have seen it. Yeah. And, some and of the your thing is they're Academy super things. light. They only weigh seven pounds because wow. I wanted a light that I could rig on a scissor clip and a C-stand arm, right? Something that could <laughs> yeah. be that lightweight. Uh, okay. So then I was like, oh, everyone's like, Shane, you got to get out of this goddamn tungsten air. You know, you got to get to LED bulbs. So I'm uh-huh. like, OK. So I start researching LED bulbs. The first one that has the same spot pattern weighs eight pounds, one bulb. So imagine 12. That's 96 pounds on top of that. the seven pounds. That's heavier than a sky panel. So your, that your scissor clips work. are not going to work very well with that one. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's. It's like I'm still, you know, trying to find that LED bulb uh, that's mm-hmm. going to take these into the next generation. But all that I've found don't dim well. They don't. Their color temperatures are very specific. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're not there yet. That's why I say, you know, LED is 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 very good. But the 97 to 100 CRI is where it all lies. Yes. And an HMI and a tungsten is 100 CRI. Exactly. And everything that we're manufacturing is 95 to 97. And those three little percent is where For all the, the saturation is, yep. where it all comes alive, right? Yep. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Every time I, I light with a piece of muzz and tungsten, it's just, it's magical. Or an HMI. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, so so we're. I, I do want to jump into Filmmakers Academy. Yeah. Obviously, you're very busy. You shot you. How many films you shot now? Thirty five, forty films. I mean, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so these awesome feature films, and we're talking Terminal Salvation, Back to Valor, Need for Speed, We Are Marshall. I mean, the list goes on and on. You're very busy. Is my point. Why why would you take all your time? Uh, to create something like Filmmakers Academy, if you're this busy doing these feature films, and I and I think that you've got probably a great answer. I want to talk about that for the last few minutes here. Yeah. So this was Lydia's brainchild. So we're on Active Valor. I uh, she comes down to see me in Puerto Rico, 
And mm. Act of Valor was a very unique movie because we basically 10 people made that movie. Incredible. Right? Oh, it's such and, a good film, too. It's one of, oh, I love thank that you. movie. Yeah. Uh, so everywhere we would go, the crew size didn't really get above 10, except when we did like really big shootouts in like the Costa Rica when they extrapolate the, the CIA agent. I think there were 60 or 70 people. Yeah. But like that whole boat sequence to get to that point was done with seven people, right? <laughs> so you think, how are they doing action with seven people, right? So mm -hmm. I'm telling Lydia all about this. And she goes, you are trailblazing this DSLR world. You're going to yep. democratize all filmmaking. And yep. people are going to be able to walk into an agency and said, oh, you don't want me to shoot your commercial on a 5D? How about Shane projecting on a 60-foot screen 5D and putting it in 9,000 theaters across the country? Is that not good enough for your commercial? And they're like, uh. You know, and all of a sudden, yeah. that people's just started shooting with these things, 5Ds. I mean, yeah. Bandito Brothers, which is a company I was working with that produced also Act of Valor, we basically sent a shock and awe earthquake through the commercial world yeah. because we were able to do it for a third of the cost compared to everyone else. So we went from this little, little production well, company. Yes, you were able to do it for a third of the cost, but also you couldn't have done it. You couldn't have made that movie with traditional no. film cameras. No, no so, way. So it wasn't even possible. It wasn't even a cost factor at that point. So she is seeing this. She's saying, we got to talk about it. We got to share this knowledge. We need to push forward with this. And uh, I'm going to brand you. And I was like, what the hell? I'm a director of photography, not a brand. Okay, my uh -huh. words were a little different. <laughs> what were your, so what were your words, Lydia? I want to hear like your, your side of the story here. Than what was just stated, stated. But thank you. That was the movie version of what. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what we want. Yeah. The story. That's right. So I went to go see Shane. It was my first break because I had been, you know, single parenting so much with mm, him yeah. on the road, and um, Shane and I never had worked together. And I know that people see us together because they they think of us together now, but we were very independent with our work lives. And we really didn't see each other very much because he was gone on movies. I would go when the kids were on you know, school break or summer, but we were fiercely independent. So my dad, I was telling my dad, I'm getting this break. And he's like, oh, it's so good that you're able to go and get a break. And while I was there, I was, you know how you have events click in your mind. Yes. And I had been learning marketing and branding and working for my friend, Christiana, who had, and she's an amazing entrepreneur, fifth generation. And she taught me absolutely everything when I was working for her. So I put all these pieces together. I was like, okay, Shane, what you're innovating is brilliant. And we need to share that with filmmakers and the, I think the biggest aha and my dad actually was the one that said, Lydia, you have to brand Shane because he said, you understand the business and marketing pieces. Shane's doing the innovating, put them together into something. And that's how we started the Hurl blog. And from there, that's right. 
It was, which was in 09. When you think about that, that was 2009. And then it was very, very, very slowly. Yeah. I would write the blogs when I had time, you know, and, and it's like, what was so crucial at that time period, because we were kind of at the beginning of the DSLR revolution, right? Yeah. So as much as I shared my knowledge of onset, I was getting knowledge tenfold back from people that experimented in Switzerland, from a dude in Denmark, from some guy down in uh, Peru. You know, people were were, were were sharing their insights and stuff Mm. that they were doing. I mean, that's what really created a, a, you know, then that's what got both of our brains thinking a little more. This is, this is extraordinary. Like this sharing of knowledge and meeting people from all over the world. And then for the business, we literally just started trying an absolute ton to see what we loved and kind of what would stick. So in, you know, we started shooting um, independent shorts that we funded and really became a micro production company in 10 Mm -hmm. and in 2012. And we did the last three minutes in the ticket. And then in 2011, we innovated with gear and did the Lettuce Master Cinema Series. And then in 2013, Shane did that the illumination, illumination experience, experience tour where right. he went across the 26, US. 26 cities. Yeah. And then in 14, we finally decided, okay, we've done all of this. And they just kept on wanting more, right? More, 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 more. Are you, you know? And, and yeah. is this, are you able to monetize all this at this point or is no, this? No, no, we were no. basically oh. putting all our, uh, <laughs> this was oh. blood, sweat and Yeah. And we tears. were funding the whole thing. The first year, I think the hurl blog was like 30 or 40,000 that and we that invested was, into our own money, you know, and then the next yeah. year was a little more. And then but it was sponsored. Then sponsors donated. started to come in and then that helped us out uh, a little a bit, a little bit more, yeah. but it, yeah. and then we, decided to kind of go for it in a in a really uh small small way with Shane's inner circle and Mm. and that kind of that was a huge learning curve we wanted to test the market we wanted to see if a membership site based on sharing knowledge and cinematography was something that people wanted and and to see if we could have Shane, you know, do his regular job, and, and be able to do this, and do this, and that got to be a, a, a real lot, which is why Filmmakers Academy. <laughs> I, I wish I'd done it three years earlier, to be honest with you. But yeah, you know how you just kind of in your own everything uh, evolves. Yeah, everything evolves, yeah. and so now I feel like what we have right now is the greatest evolution of what we've done we have, in business. And it's because it's not just our voice. It's so many wonderful voices coming together mm-hmm. and sharing. And it's really, you know, our goal is to spread it obviously through every discipline eventually, but um, it's, it's starting and it's exciting and, you know, we're in year two and, um, we really blew up everything to create the Filmmakers Academy. And that was terrifying. Oh, um, my God. Rebranding for the third, third time. time. It's oh. like that usually takes companies down. Out. So uh-huh. it, was, it was a testament to our incredible community. And that's really mm-hmm. from a business perspective. Our members, yeah. Um, it was the 
the membership community and them asking for specific things and what they wanted and Shane and myself having that aha of like, oh yeah, we've got to really get more voices in because filmmaking is not one person doing it. It's so collaborative. Yeah. Yeah. Balancing the the two worlds is actually one of the greatest uh, things in my life. Because I come out of making movies and I go right into everything that I learned on that movie, I'm deploying, right? And I'm teaching. So it's like if I learned all these leadership skills over the last four or five movies, trying this whole freaking fantastic, you know, short-term memory loss, you know, communication to the utmost degree and giving out trophies, I tested that on five movies and then I did a whole, I teach about it, right? So it's like, I try to continue. That's why Filmmakers Academy will always be the tip of the spear because as I'm learning on set, I'm then dumping all this information into education. And same for all of the mentors. And for myself, um, I am no longer nursing, but became a Reiki master. And so I'm studying energy work and, and I'm bringing mm. all of that with health and wellness principles because I believe that filmmakers really need that. They really need yeah. to focus on their their own self-care and health because the job is so incredibly it's grinding. grinding. Yeah, It is grinding. And that's that's what's so surprising to me is that you're able to do the job Still, you're able to demand those incredible hours on set uh, for months at a time, uh, maintain a relationship with your family, and do Filmmakers Academy at the same time. Uh, at some point, don't you just want to kind of like enjoy a Mai Tai and watch the sunset? I, like, what's <laughs> I, that's it's yeah. So so so, what's the plan then with uh, with that in the future? Yeah, well, it's. I think right now we absolutely love this. Um, we, oh really? Every day you <laughs> <laughs> We love. No, we do. We love it. We love what we're doing. I think I want it, this video uh, immediately, Lars. After you this got video. it, it's so yours. Can, I'll send it to you. Can, I want to put it on a speed repeat, like uh, you know, a yeah. boomerang. We love this. We love this. We love this. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's a great question and i know that we're doing this for a while um mm-hmm. i i don't know how much you know i don't know what the universe has in ahead of us but i think that shane and i are both um i'm passionate about learning and about continuing to learn and pushing myself because i know it's good for my brain and i also know that retirement um, can be very unhealthy and people can get very lonely and yeah. it sounds great, but it, there are a lot of not great things about it for the brain and body. So I figure, you know, it's as long as you're enjoying your life and you can find the balance of self-care time, time with friends. I mean, I have this wheel of life exercise from life coaching. That's so great because it hits all of the major buckets and, um, of, of life, your spirituality, your physical health, your mental and emotional health. And I think one thing that I will say is mental health is what stresses me out more than anything, just in terms of the, the mental decision-making, everything coming at us. It's that mental stress 
yeah. that is way worse than any of the other stressors. And it's once you understand how to manage that, and it's so unique and different for everybody, because that is where people get into depression, get into anxiety, get into burnout, get into overwhelm. It's, you know, really wrapping your brain around that one particular part of health, I would argue is the most important thing for filmmakers and everybody to do. So, so what's what's one exercise or piece of advice people can uh, filmmakers can use or, or, or artists, any creative field uh, to reduce that mental stress? The biggest thing about mental stress is understanding how you get stressed from it and deep breathing is the number one and i know that people talk about this but it's recognition right like oh wow i'm really my brain is ping-ponging right now and then there's a really simple exercise i'll show you here but if you put your hand on your heart and your hand on your diaphragm at the same time and take some deep breaths and i mean big inhale through the nose so Hold at the top for a couple seconds and then let it all go through the mouth. Just doing one, this puts you into parasympathetic nervous system. And imagine doing a series of those. So you're on set, you can do it at lunch, you can do it before you hit it, you can do it, you know. And it's okay I'm in to my say, little tent. I need a minute. So I'm in my <laughs> monitor tent so I can uh -huh. be doing that stuff and I'll do be doing these things sometimes and all of a sudden the dit's head pops in and he goes, what the hell's going what on here? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, awesome. hey, I'm, I'm uh, igniting my parasympathetic. But oh, two, other, two other quick things. Take yeah. lunch and use your lunch time because this okay. is where what happens at lunch. You schedule meetings. You ha you're pulled into meetings, especially on a feature. You've got to talk yeah. through the rest of the day with your crew. You can literally take five minutes, eat, go for a walk, do just clear your mind of excess stuff that doesn't need to be in there, and do some deep breathing. And you come back. Your decision making is better. You're calmer. You're a better leader all of these things. And then, and I go into this more and I, I could go on for days, as you can tell, this is my passion, but having a self-care routine once you leave set is so mm. important. An evening routine. Everybody thinks about the morning routine, but the evening routine sets you up for the next day. And the other thing is also just taking the time to continue to bond with your partner and your family. And one thing that I always did is when I came back from a movie, I was back. I wasn't then yes. trying to get the next gig. I wasn't trying to revive and, you know, call all my commercial directors. Hey, I'm back. You know, that's how I used to be. And it's just this rat race that you get on where you yeah. just never take time off, never enjoy life, never just let the, the your mind uh, clear. And now I hope my wife doesn't listen to this episode because she'll call me out on that for sure. <laughs> but that's yeah. you know, truly what we've been doing. It's like. Uh, we just got back from Lake Arrowhead. Uh, we went to go see Best Friends. Best Friends. But they have a little cabin. So we went up there oh. and just, you know, decompressed. And Lydia gave them Reiki, both of them, you know, <laughs> as a gift. And and uh, we were out on the water enjoying, uh, you know, 
nice glass of Sancerre and uh, Modelo and, you know. But it's it's being intentional, yeah. right? Yes. It's being intentional with your time because I think what happens for people is they get sucked up by their life into the rat race, running, running from one thing to another, to another, to yeah. another. And and it's it's intentionality is everything. So how do, how do you want to spend your time? Who do you want to be with? What are your goals? What are your dreams? And really getting clear on those and clear what you need to make your soul, your your internal self happy. Because you can yep. do a job and be miserable at that job. <laughs> and we're seeing people leaving jobs more than ever after the pandemic because they're like, that's it. Yeah, I'm not going to put up with this shit. I could die. You know? so I'm Yeah, gonna... I could die tomorrow, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to do what I love. And it shouldn't have to. One thing I want to say in closing, Lars, because this is so yeah. important. No, it good, should... good, great. Thanks. It shouldn't have to take a medical crisis for you to pay attention to your health your needs, your longevity, what, you know, your own body. And it shouldn't have to take a, a work crisis where you just need to walk out because you haven't been listening to the signals that your, that your body and your soul and your mind are giving you. Right. They our, our body whispers to us. And I think it's so important to listen Be to those to be quiet and listen. And I, I have to say this, it's, it's pretty simple and people make it so complex. Do you want to go through the rest of your life with negativity, waking up in the morning? Jesus Christ, I'm barely, you know, it's another oh, day. Jesus, another day. <laughs> what is that, that, that attracts us to that feeling because I would really hate that shit. It's like, <laughs> and I lived in that shit for so many years and I finally mm. pushed myself out of it. And yeah. it's like, it's like the second coming is, is kind of how I describe <laughs> it and how I lead now. It's yeah. like my crew, like if they hear that they're working with me and they've heard and they've experienced me from the, the days when I was, you know, ripping up the ladder, they are like, Oh shit. And then when I come <laughs> in and I, first thing I do is I freaking fantastic. How are you doing today? Oh my God. Yeah. High five. And they're like, who the hell is this guy? That's not what anyone told us about. I, I was prepared for this and now he's, you know, and I like that actually. And, I love flipping the script. And it's all yeah. because of quieting the mind meditation, which I tried to get Shane to oh, do. Oh yeah. She tried to get me to meditate <laughs> yes. for 26 years and five years. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, I, I don't know why. I don't know what was in my mind. I, I just, but I'm so proud now because this yes. is, this is, the best version. And that's what all of this gives you is everybody deep down wants to be the best version of themselves yeah. and self-care, self time, really knowing yourself allows you to be your best on set and mm -hmm. best around your family and, and just your best version to go out there every day. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being on. I got one last question for Shane. What what piece of advice would you have for young creatives or uh, uh, cinematographers even starting out? Okay. Um, first thing is don't come out of school thinking you're a director of photography. 
Hmm. or a producer or a production designer or any of these things. Um, I feel that building the most successful and longevity of a career is starting at the bottom and working your way up. And even if you think you're a damn good director of photography, why don't you start slinging some cable? Because by slinging and laying cable, you're going to understand immediately what you're asking your crew to do. Yeah. And you need to know that ask. Because when I say I need two 18Ks up on that mountain, and the only way to get there is by running four out all the way up there, you need to understand the weight of that four out. You need to understand what it takes to lay it out in a very efficient way and all that stuff. So having that kind of brick and mortar of understanding, you know, it's like I was a grip. So I understood how to control light and shape light. Ooh, that's part of being a director of photography. Then I went to a dolly grip. Whoa, I got to be motivated by the moves of the actors and the emotion of the story. Ooh, that's a part of a director of photography, photography. right? Uh, As a gaffer, understanding the lights and what they do and the quality of light and all these things. Oh, wow. That's a part of being a director of photography. So all these (laughs) things that you think that you just want to come out and put that camera on your shoulder and and shoot it. Yes, you can do that. But I guarantee you, your longevity and your success is not going to be as long as somebody that does the work and that then understands. Because one of the things that I practice is this communication and leadership, where because I did the brick and mortar of building my uh you know, career through starting at a dry grip truck driver and working my way up, is I understand what it takes and what is required to do what I'm asking. So I can be very specific. Well, by being very specific, you can be very granular with the budget. So you can work very closely with production. So you can start to give them the warning signs of we are going off the tracks here because you're telling me you have this budget and the director's asking me to do that. So we're not in sync. And you can tell them that six to eight weeks prior to your crew ever coming on board, right? So it's like, this is where I see the the starting out at the bottom and working way up. What it gives you is it gives you that knowledge. It gives you the respect of the crew and how hard they worked and how hard I used to work for my DPs and, and the physicality of it and the grind. And when I see it, You know, every day I'm inside and there's blowing wind and sideways rain and those grip and electrics are out there firing those HMIs up and trying to control those 12 by 20 bleach muslins and all that stuff. And you have to really have the compassion to understand that they're out there for you and to make you look great and for the project to be, succeed. And you yes. got to gain that respect and understand that respect that they are going out there and doing. And that's when it all started to come full circle for me. It's like uh, the compassion mixed with the passion. Mm-hmm. It used to be just straight passion. And that's yeah. what was grinding. But now passion with compassion is kind of the new mantra. 
I think that's freaking fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the same for business too. It's the same for business. Too. She leads our team. Unlike, like I learn from her all the time because I'm like, how did you Inspiring. defeat that bomb? You know, it's like she <laughs> is a great leader, and I continue to tell her that Thank when you. she's like, you know what, we're shutting this shit down. I'm like, Lydia, you're a great leader. You built an amazing team. You know, I know that this month is not great. Business but- is hot. Business is really, really hard, and it's because of yeah. my incredible team and what they do every day and really understanding their jobs and cherishing them so much that they inspire me. And I know Shane feels the same way to continue when everything conspires against you, which happens on the film set every day. You feel like literally everything is conspiring against you. Right. But it's those Mm -hmm. people that you're with, you know, when the generator goes down and a thunder and lightning storm comes out and every single thing happens to shut you down from doing your job, whether on set or in business, it's the people you're with. It's that crew. Yeah. It's, it's my team that shines so brightly every day. And when I'm ready, when I've had it and I'm like, okay, I love these people. I love what we're creating together. And you know what? The perspective is there because it was just a bad, rough day. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bad, rough day. And I think it's helping them see the perspective too when they can't. Yeah, when we get handed a shit day on set, I was like, guys, just lick your wounds. I'm not going to remember this the past five minutes. We just come in tomorrow and just forget and about and just we'll, we'll be good to go. Yeah. Hit the reset button, yeah. right? Yeah. We're resetting. Well, Thank you guys so much. I know we went a little over, but I, I think the information is incredibly valuable. Uh, please uh, don't drink those Mai Tais quite yet because I think what you're doing with Filmmakers Academy is so important, and we really appreciate it. So thank you guys so much for being here. Oh, thank oh, you're you so, welcome. Yes. so much for having us and yeah. to all of your listeners. We really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you, Lars. Honestly, what an honor. I loved this entire episode. I just think the energy between the two of them, and I think that the three of us, we had a nice little banter going on. Anyway, thank you guys for sticking around. I've got lots more episodes coming up. Uh, Lots of exciting stuff. We'll see you next time.